We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why... When it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 358. Another week, another complete ass-whooping of the Baltimore Orioles. You are very proud of your fake prediction that wasn't really a prediction that was couched, that was only said after the Yankees lost the first two out of three. I don't know why you keep saying that. Why do you keep saying that? Because I I literally just proved proved to you that I said it before that. No, you sent me the clip, and the entire clip was you say, I don't want to argue about this. People don't really care about this. It's March. People love it. It's March 28th is the clip. Mm-hmm. Okay, is when it I said it was that our was, preview episode, our season prediction episode. It was predictions the predictions episode. episode. Yep. Predictions episode. It was before the season started. Yeah. Okay. Before the season, I have in my notes that seventeen and two. You tried. You tried to persuade me into nineteen and zero. Is what happened. And I and I told and I and I was like, yeah, they should. They should go nineteen and zero. The prediction itself, seventeen and two. I tried to before the season. Before they played the Orioles, and the only reason that was in there, the two only reason the two were in there. It's because that's baseball, Susan. 
And I clearly said that. I tried to dissuade you from saying 19-0 because of your prediction in 2018 of 19-0 against the Rays. And then the Yankees struggled all season against the Rays. So you said there is no reason the Yankees should lose even one single game to the Orioles. And I said, there wasn't, are you there really going to do this again? And that's yeah. when you said, okay, fine, 17-2. It was still, no, again, you know what, I'll give again. you 50%. I'll give you half credit. Okay, what this I'll is, you, what this is, you, is uh, sour grapes. It's it's you, um, you you not making any predictions. You the only ones you did were were ridiculous. And when one of them had to do with John Sterling making calls in London, which he did not do, not not one time, <laughs> not not one British call. Well, you know and, what? Uh, his his and, agent, someone in his uh, booth, should have been like John, make some better home run calls. We're in London. He better have something he, for Iowa next year. What he was trying to do is give the people the real John Sterling. Now, now looking back on it, Monday morning quarterback, I understand it. He wanted to give them. He wanted to give the people of of the UK the authentic John Sterling. So and I appreciate. No that. one in the UK was listening to WFAN. They heard the bits. They were listening to the uh, the the British pandemonium box office. Didi Gregorius, he's box office. Absolute box office. That's what they were listening. It was to. good. They heard the clips. They heard John. So, Yankees uh, finished up their season against the Orioles 17-2. and I mean, it's an unbelievable run that they went on after, like we said, losing two out of the first three in that first weekend. And the big thing I remember you and I talked about on that Monday episode right after that first series was, are we really going to go through this again this year where they're playing inferior opponents and it looks like they just have uh, – a little bit of a they they just fall asleep they take them for granted or whatever it may be they just play down to their competition and that's when judge said we got to play backs against our wall 162 games a year we can't take anybody for granted and that seems to be what they did for the rest of the season against baltimore but i was i was nervous that oh here we go again this is going to be the difference in the AL East. It's, it's not winning games against baltimore it's not winning games against team you should be wiping the floor with you know, when you're watching the games and you're seeing how inferior the players are, compare, even, even the players that, I mean, granted, we have different names today, a lot of different names in, in the lineup, but they're playing out of their minds. Um, and you look over across the, uh, you know, the, the lineup score and you're, you're, you're looking at the, what, you know, what these guys are rolling out there and you see Trey Mancini, you see a couple other guys that are having some good years, but, you know, the pitching never changed. Pitching's been terrible for I don't literally like my entire life. I feel like since Mike Mussina, it's been bad. Like, uh, what was that guy? Daniel Cabrera is one of those guys that flashed in the pan for like a minute or two. But um, you know they've just been terrible. They, their pitching staff has never been addressed, and it, it is what it is. And when you watch, when you look at what the Yankees are rolling out there, um, and the fact that they have a much more balanced team this year, like the pitching doesn't even need to be good. Like just just be efficient and and like and limit damage. Because you're going to score nine runs a game. Yeah, that's the thing. It's don't don't um, don't fall too far behind. And even if they end up blowing a lead, which Luis Sessa sort of let the Orioles back into two different games this weekend, you knew they were never going to even come back fully. And even if they did come back fully, the Yankees were just going to take the lead the following inning. That's this seemed to be the pattern every single game was. Oh, Orioles are making it interesting. Oh, Yankees uh, tack on a couple runs. At at, at no point <laughs> during the entire. I don't know. I'd say the last three series, maybe four, 
did I feel like we were going to lose a game. No. At no point, at no point did I feel like that game was out of balance and we're like, uh-oh. This, the only time I was, I was nervous is when they had like 5,000 kids in the, uh, in the stadium. And, and that was going to be for things, nothing had nothing to do with baseball, but everything to do with like the baseball gods and, the, and like, you know, just showing those kids something. I was nervous about the kids. I'm like, well, what if, what if the baseball gods like show the kids something? Well, that's, you know? the like thing. That, that's what made me nervous. That's the thing about baseball. Even though uh, you should be winning every game against them, something eventually will happen. So I right. know people were talking on Twitter, oh, the Yankees could play the Orioles 100 more times this season and win 100 games. They probably win about 97 of them. Yeah, and, and that's exactly why I built in the two-game cushion. <laughs> Some fun stats on the Yankees' season offensively against the Orioles. So as a team, they hit 303, 386, 632. It's 204 for 673. They homered in every single game they played against them, and they hit 61 total home runs. They scored 151 runs in the 19 games. Glaber Torres was an absolute wrecking crew. He hit 13 home runs. He tried so desperately to get his 14th home run to tie the Lou Gehrig record. Couldn't come through with it. But sneaky sneakily, Gary Sanchez hit 10 bombs off of the Orioles. And he didn't play in half the frigging games, it seemed like, because he's been injured. So... Everyone's talking about Glaber because of the Gary Thorne clips, Paul O'Neill running into the Gary Thorne booth and all that kind of stuff, and it was a lot of fun. And every time Glaber hit another three-run home run against them, in my mind, I was, I was like, does this team have any self-respect for themselves? Are they going to throw at Glaber Torres? Just, I'm not saying try and injure him. Just throw at his butt. Do something. You got to do something different. And the thing they chose to do was intentionally walk him when they're already down by five runs. They intentionally walked somebody down by to five load runs. the bases. Do you know how to much real bases. estate Glaber Torres has in the brains of the Baltimore Orioles pitching staff? If they are intentionally walking him down by five runs, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. That's a Brandon Hyde call. That's what that is. That's a okay, manager. He's got real estate scared. in every. Mm-hmm. He owns beachfront property in every single one of those players and managers and coaches' brains. It's 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 hilarious that that happened. I mean, when you're getting beat that bad, and you're a bad team, I don't. For me, like I don't think it calls for like throwing at somebody, but you can pitch them inside. You can walk them in different ways. You don't. You don't have to throw the ball over the plate. But the problem is, here's the problem with that. Their pitching staff is so bad. I know, so bad. They very well, they very well could have. That was the game plan for half of his at bats, maybe. <laughs> and the ball just leaked over the plate. You know, like how do you know when when you're that bad and you, uh, you you can't locate pitches? Then, you know, there's there's bigger problems. It's like uh, you know, it just the ball ends up over the plate and Glaber Torres ends up smashing it. So we gave a lot of t-shirts out. That's for sure. <laughs> Almost a lot of t-shirts. You might, you might have to pick somebody else next year because Glaber Torres, if he's got 19 more games against the Orioles, might might put us out of business. I pick a new person every year. I, we've had Didi career career home. Actually, the first one we ever picked was A Rod, who had the freaking resurgence, right. and A Rod started hitting home runs. I'm like, what is happening here? And um, and then it was Didi. We actually had Didi for two years, and, and then Glaber. So maybe yeah, maybe you I, pick Aaron Judge next year so we can get him back to form. I don't know. I feel like it could be a reverse action. The uh, yeah. So T-shirt time has been good for everybody, really. When you when they're when they're picked, their name is called. They have career highs in home runs. So we gotta we gotta filter that information into the Yankees clubhouse. It's sort of like the reverse Madden jinx. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the nerds are uh, have some algorithms for for different Yankee accounts on Twitter, and they're seeing what's happening. 
another sign that this is a different Yankees team than last year. So doubleheaders this season, they played six of them, and they went 11-1. and one. They swept them all except the one against the Mets, which I think is one of the more impressive uh, stats, facts, of the season because yeah. the cliche goes you're going to split doubleheaders even if you're playing shitty teams it's hard to sweep doubleheaders well they they swept baltimore twice they beat kansas city swept kansas city swept boston swept tampa like i said split with the mets so it's not like i mean boston and tampa are two tough opponents and they swept them the mets the mets were crappy back when they played them they split then and the mets are good now but i mean even you play crappy teams like baltimore and kansas city to sweep them, to not just say to yourself, well, it's a doubleheader. If we lose, we lose. It's huge. I think it shows a lot about this team. I think it definitely shows a lot about the mentality and, and also is a, uh, you know, it, it speaks on the depth of the team too because when, you have a, when you're playing a doubleheader, you're obviously going with that next man up mentality. There's, you're you're going to have guys that are not playing in one of the games most likely, especially your catcher. Um, your pitching staff has to be relatively deep to get through it, or you need good outings from starters. And good outings from starters doesn't happen all that often, so you need to have depth and, and make sure that I your I feel like half can, those those do doubleheader games, they went opener. Yeah, no, they did. I think Chad Green was definitely involved in a lot of them. But the uh, it does. It speaks to the depth of this team. It really does, and, and, and just proves how um, how relentless they are. No matter you know when it is, where it is, how it is, these guys come at you tenfold and uh and and that's 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 like my biggest my biggest uh positive for about this team I think that's going to translate later in the season is that they're deep I've been saying this all year you know when you have that much when you're battling uh adversity that much and you have these guys who are who are now tested and they've been playing in major league games for you know a long time and they've gotten a lot more seasoned than you'd ever expect well now you have you know you're two to three deep at different positions whether you're switching them around or not you're two to three deep in different positions where you can uh, you have faith in that guy and everybody else has faith in that guy. Man, does depth really matter in the in the playoffs? Yeah, I think it does. Because things happen. I mean, you know, things happen. You need big pinch hit spots. Like, how many times do you see like the a uh, big pinch hit spot that, or you know, whatever the situation may be, it, it could be situational baseball where uh, someone has to get taken out of a game and uh, an injury, whatever, whatever it is. Like, it's it's things happen in the playoffs. No hole barred at that point. Uh. I, I don't think depth matters nearly as much in the playoffs. As I mean, certainly. The it, season. Oh, yeah, certainly. It's more the regular season, but it also helps you in the dog days of the regular season um, and allows you to keep, you know, your number one guys I mean, fresh. Yeah, it can or set you up for fresh. October. Depth can yeah. set you up for October. It can win you home field advantage because you're not going to lose games you shouldn't lose. It's like you said, it's going to keep your guys fresh. It can battle you through injuries, which it, the depth has really done all season for the Yankees. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with that. But when. When it's, uh, you also have the ability to match up better, too, because you have more options, and, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Having, having the ability to match up but, with guys. Because right now, there's no... I mean, if you look around, like you, if, if we get a first baseman back and healthy for the playoffs, you know, there, there could be a... There's definitely a decision to be made, whether it's the DH spot, uh, whether it's... And, and third base. You know, where's LeMahieu going? What's Urshela doing? Well, that's the thing. LeMahieu's playing no matter what. So it's just a matter of sure. where is LeMahieu playing. And, and at then, this point, isn't Urshela playing? Well, then if that's the case, then it would have to be LeMahieu at first base. And if, if Voight or Encarnacion is healthy, I don't think that's the case. I, I think LeMahieu is then playing third base and Urshela is on the bench. There's a DH got to be there too, but 
look, it's a uh, that's what's crazy. Urshela is is among the leaders for the batting title. Yes, right I know now. he's just barely below the qualifying uh, plate appearance for batting title. How do you sit that guy? You can't. He's a and he's and he's a you know world class third baseman. Listen, he's, it's, this it's, is that's, this that's is, the thing. Like the depth is going to give you more options. I'll give you another baseball cliche. It will figure itself out. It always figures itself out, whether it's someone slumping, another guy injured, or something. It will figure itself out. And I know we're gonna we'll talk about it over the next month and a half up until the playoffs. At this point, that's all anyone really cares about is the playoffs. I mean, maybe you're looking towards Houston and what they're doing because you're trying to get home field advantage, which we briefly mentioned last episode. Yanks are two and a half games up on Houston right now. One interesting thing, though, Houston has the tiebreaker against the Yankees. They have the season series one, four to three. So the Yankees would actually need to finish a game up on Houston to uh, win home field advantage. Garrett Cole was scratched from his start with hamstring discomfort. I have not seen an update yet on how long he will be sidelined, if he will be sidelined at all with that injury. But one of those starting pitchers goes down for Houston, and it is a completely different vibe going into a Houston series. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, their big three is is what's the scary thing when you see them. and then, But again, they also have some, some depth. When they have goes. starting pitching depth, but... Yeah. That when you're talking about facing Aaron Sanchez or Wade Miley in a game four, you're like, uh, okay, I think we can somehow figure that game out. But if you're facing him in a game three and you only got to go through one of the big three or two of the big three, I think you feel a little bit better about that. Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about it. That's a big deal. But, you know, we don't know what this is at this point. It's far it could away. Be something that's, yeah. It's far away. And I, you and know damn well they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna treat this thing with kid gloves. And also... Because I don't think they matter... Well, I mean, they're going to play for home field, there's no doubt, but uh, if they have their big three, that's more important to them, I think. Uh, yeah, and it's very close because of, I think, I think the 2017 ALCS is a good indicator of how well each of those teams play at home and how good they feel in their own ballpark. Yep, um, absolutely. If I see another Altuve home run to left field, <laughs> I'm going to go crazy. And uh, so... F- so for the Yankees, I, I, it's a balancing act, like we said last week. I don't know what what uh, I think they're going to get more guys. They're going to get more guys back to even I think win a, a series against Houston. And if Severino can come back and be almost Luis Severino, then you feel better about that series anyway because you got s- some more starting pitching to match up with the Houston starting pitchers. Uh, what, what we're seeing is something that we've also been talking about about getting quality arms and and like this is this was kind of the narrative for the trade deadline too about. Cashman, maybe he doesn't go out for the the um, the starting pitcher, you know that that we were all expecting him to get, but but potentially add, you know, some quality arms at some point. He didn't do any of that. But when you're looking at the guys coming back, the um, the uh, Johnny Lasagna's of the world, like now what what we know now is that he is going to be working out of the bullpen and stretched out to three to four innings, and and that's what you're you're looking at, like. Uh, you know, one guy we haven't talked about in a couple episodes is Davey Garcia. Like he's definitely been improving in AAA. You're seeing a progression from him. And it's clear that they would, if he were to come up uh, probably in the September call-ups, that he would be an option out of the, the bullpen. And, and uh, they'd still want to see more progression, obviously from him uh, around the strike zone. But you're seeing more of these guys now who are lining up as three to four inning guys. And it just gives Boone, uh, you know, a myriad of options to 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 do whatever he wants to in the bullpen because now he's got guys that can go, you know, almost as long as a starter. It's because it's really not that far off if if you are stretched out as far as four innings and actually use all of those bullets up. 
you know, they uh, th- those are pretty good options. And Severino's looking like that. Lasagna's looking like that. Um, you know, again, potentially a David Garcia later. We're seeing more and more of these guys. And who knows what the hell Herman is uh, at that point. Yeah, so. Herman, th- that's a good segue. It's an interesting point. So in the Tuesday game, they went with a two-man bench and a 10-man bullpen. I don't expect them to quite do that in October because that would be really setting yourself up for disaster if one of your guys, your position players, goes down. But I think we're going to see a loaded bullpen in the playoffs. And like you said, just get a couple innings out of guys here and there. Somehow try and compile 27 outs a night. Yeah. You know, that's that's the whole thing about everybody talking about the opener. For I I think we're going to see a structure that's going to look like an opener situation. But they're going to be starting pitchers in the beginning. And if, if there's any sign of trouble or if there is some sign of trouble or if, you know, whatever it may be, then they're going to have the... Boone's going to feel comfortable with the guys that are behind them. Um, you know, we saw in 17 in the wild card with, um, with David Robertson coming in for, for Severino and, and, you know, being that guy. Well, I think there's multiple guys like that now that, that I think at least they're building up to be uh, like that for the playoffs that Boone can feel comfortable with. And that they're hoping, um, they're hoping they have, you know, a few of them. Like Garcia would be a great, great. I, I, I'm really looking forward to that kid. I really hope that he gets the call up so that we can just at least see what it is. The David Robertson type, uh, Conrad Milhopt wrote a really good article on the website earlier this week talking about the pitching staff top to bottom in the playoffs. And he, and he used a, di- a bunch of different metrics, but one of them was uh, leverage and the leverage index and who Boone should go to in the most high leverage situations. Um, other than Chapman, who's obviously the closer, Tommy Canely has actually been the most effective in the most high yeah. leverage situations. So we could see Tommy Canely being deployed sort of like what Chad Green was deployed. Excuse me, what um, D. Robertson. Was, Robertson was deployed in the 2017 playoffs where if shit hits the fan in the second inning, guess what? It's Tommy Canely time. doesn't matter that it's the second inning. Yeah, no, that could be. I think that the fact that he has that wipeout changeup is, uh, is a big deal for um, you know this fastball hitting league. The fact that he can pull the string on, on lefties as well. The fact that he's a righty and matches up really well with lefties because of that changeup. Um, he's been good. He, that guy, he just looks like nails. So he, he's one of those guys you, you just, uh, after we saw the resurgence of this year, he got rid of the Red Bull, got rid of all the extra crap that he needed. The sugar was too high. It was affecting him. And uh, he, came up, he came up, you know, as a pissed off Tommy Canely, the bulldog that we, that we originally got from the White Sox. So uh, funny enough, they were in the same trade. Yeah. So... Tuesday, Tuesday night's game. So Tuesday got away from me. A little story, a little, little aside. So I went out for Taco Tuesday because <laughs> LeBron James told me to. And uh, there's LeBron's a, really affecting the world. My, my son had tacos on Tuesday, and I'm pretty sure my wife has no idea what, <laughs> what Taco Tuesday is with LeBron. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, she just heard it through, through somewhere else, probably, I, probably, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. It reached mainstream media. So, but, uh, so we went out for, uh, to this taco place by me, and there's a comedy club underneath the, uh, the taco place. And I was there with a couple of friends and the uh, outside of the restaurant, there's also the sign for the comedy club and they're advertising Jeremy Piven as the guy. Ooh. And I'm like, I, it, Jeremy Piven's a stand-up comedian now. Like I have no desire. He started, he started as a stand-up comedian, I think. Okay. Well, he's having a nervous breakdown because he was dressed like uh, an emo version of Indiana Jones. It was really bizarre. He was terrible. That's not the point of the story. The manager was walking around the restaurant trying to get people to come into the comedy club. This is a Tuesday night. Like, I had no plans to go see Jeremy Piven. But sh- the, the manager, she was like, Jeremy Piven's performing tonight. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Bill Burr's making a special appearance. 
so, because Bill Burr is, I guess, he's in town for the summer doing a movie, and he's just trying they're, to. And I, and I think they're friends, Piven and Burr. I think so. Right, when they go back, I, I think it goes back to that original comedy circuit. Okay, maybe that's the case. But uh, I was like, well, I got to go see Bill Burr. I'm a huge Bill Burr fan, and all all it was was a one drink minimum if you were eating dinner at the restaurant. So I saw Bill Burr do 20 minutes for a one beer, what cost of one beer, but. I was planning on watching the Yankees game. Instead, I went and watched Bill Burr. That, that's my side story. And I, and I had to watch. That's a, that's a good stumble. That's, that's one of those good. That's, that's one of the beauties of living in New York. And you can stumble across one of those things. Right. Because that happens a lot. It's just you have to be in the right time at the right place. You can't plan it. Right. And so that's a, that's a good story. I like that. And if I was going to miss one game, it's going to be a Tuesday game against the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. But I, that's, a, that's a good. I'm surprised Jeremy Piven was bad, though. Yeah, he he. Uh, I, mean, I just I like him from like early on stuff too, like PCU. Like I'm a, I'm a, I mean I, I call I, myself he's a, a good co- fan. He's he's funny in movies and shows, but he he's just not a good stand up comedian. Maybe he's, it almost seemed like he was doing shtick, and like he's mm-hmm. trying to make a point or something. Uh, very very weird, very self deprecating, uh, which can be funny. It was just kind of sad. <laughs> okay you know and a lot of these guys test out material in, in places like oh this sure too, there so. was like 30 people in the audience yeah so he, he was what was the name of the club do you remember uh west side comedy club okay he um yeah so he may have been testing out some stuff yeah interesting that's cool um so i went back and watched uh the condensed game and everything on this tuesday game in herman's start where he goes seven innings and we've talked about this innings limit so much if there is really an innings limit and they have a plan mapped out for this guy, why are they allowing him to go seven innings against the Orioles when you have a, a big lead anyway? I, because, I, well, first of all, we, we heard, I heard uh, Boone talking about this as well, and, and there have been no, from what they're saying, again, and, and take this with a grain of salt because I don't believe 95% of the things that come out of anybody's mouth, but um, they haven't had like, like these, the ultimate discussions about... Uh, the the limits it's they, they, obviously they, bullshit this is what they're saying but why would they say that why would they say that out in the public it's just a strange thing to say um the fact look this this start i was definitely surprised to see him back out especially the way that the game was going but man it was an easy seven innings. of course it was man and, it was and if an there's easy, no I innings mean, limit. It, it felt like an easy easy 93 pitches listen for him. if there's no innings limit i got no problem setting him back out there for seven innings i love to get seven innings out of my starting pitcher Build his confidence. Let him go deep in games. That is exactly what I want to see out of my starting pitching. But if you are going to be shutting him down or limiting his innings at one point, that is an easy place to just save an inning or two. Yeah. You got a 10-man bullpen. You have a 10-man bullpen for a reason. Right. Trot him out. <laughs> and it's it's the Orioles. Right. You know, they're it's 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 a valid point. And Again, it just it depends on what they're doing, what the plan is. And I don't think any of us know. We're all speculating on what the plan is for Herman because he is going to be up against these uh, the innings and the and the pitches, you know, with the the highest in his career, and we don't know how he's going to react. I, I I want them to just I want them to listen to the player, I want them to watch it, I want them to um, to do the right thing, but what that right thing is again, like we said last show, like there's no win for them unless he right. pitches throughout the year. And then pitches in the playoffs and, and does well. Like, that's the only time that they can win. Everything else is a loss for them because there will be something blamed. And it's a really, it's a tough spot for them. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see, uh, I think we're getting, because he, he looked damn good too. He looked damn good. Yeah. Just the two solo home runs allowed, 93 pitches in seven innings is, is pretty efficient, especially for, for today. So I'm looking up his career high. I forget his career high 123 
and a third innings is his career high in innings pitched. That is in 2014. That was in single yeah. A ball. He's yeah. at 116 right now. So he's basically up against this career high. But think about it. 2014 is a long time ago. Right. Last year, he threw like high 80s in innings. 80, it was uh, 89 innings combined last season. So, I don't know. Are they going off the 89 number on an increase? Are they going off the 123 number on an increase? I think they have something in mind. And I'm sure they have something in mind, but maybe they don't have a, a number that they're going off of. They're, they're looking more at what the player is doing today. Yeah, yeah. And I, because there's, this, is what we, this is one of those things, right? Like there's no, there's no perfect algorithm for this. There's no perfect recipe. We've seen it work. We've seen it not work. It's just, you know, whether you, you throw him and, and he gets tired... Okay, you can't really predict that. Whether you shut him down and he doesn't come back, I think what the, the thing that we saw, we said last show, which I think to me makes the most sense, is we have seen Domingo Herman, even though he says that he doesn't want to do it this way, we have seen him be shut down for injury or whatnot and then come back and be successful. So he's proved that he can do it, uh, and he's done it this season. So what's there to say that, why can't you shut him down at a certain point then and then ramp him back up in a similar fashion like you did for the injury and then expect his body to do something similar because we've seen it now happen, um, even though he says that's not what he wants to do. Well, what we're seeing now is because CeCe's returning this weekend, CeCe's going to get the start on Sunday. That would be Herman's day to start on five days rest, but Herman's going to get pushed Monday off day. He's probably going to start Tuesday in Oakland on the road trip. They haven't announced that yet. But that would be a few extra days rest for him. And if they start doing that, I think you can limit his innings that way. If you because you have CC, so now you have with an opener six starting pitchers. I could see right. them doing that for the rest of the season, or at least I mean the that's next assuming season. that's assuming health with CC. That's a big assumption. But yeah. uh, I could see them doing that for at least the next couple weeks, while CC is we're trying to figure out if he's healthy or not. Um, while they're going to get September call ups coming. And you have more pitchers that you can go to. How many more quarter zone shots does CC get? Even though the doctors are like, no more. Uh, he's like, just, just hit me. Yeah, I don't think. He's like, just hit I me. Mean, come on. This is CC's <laughs> last year. He's, he is not thinking past the end of October. Of the, that's just, all he is concerned about. And, just hit me. But you know what? I don't know. Does CC? how much is CC going to care if he's not pitching in October? Like, obviously he wants to pitch, but they, I mean, he's probably not going to pitch in October. So he's just going to be in the dugout. He's going to be with the guys. He's going to be yelling if there's a brawl, if there's anything. He's the first. Guy I have out a very there. difficult time. I have a very difficult time seeing them leave CC Sabathia off of the playoff roster. I mean, it all depends on how he comes back and if he's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It all. It's, there's a huge, huge question mark with his health. That's the biggest thing. There's no doubt. If he comes back um, and struggles, or he's got more knee issues, you can't put him on the roster. That would be a wasted roster spot. That means you're essentially right. going with 24 people, and you're. You're handcuffing yourself for no reason. But if but if he shows that he's healthy, and uh, I, I I would have a very difficult time seeing them leave, leave him off. If uh, be, uh, yeah, and if all things are equal between him and Jay Happ, they're going to go with Cece. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to have Sabathia and Happ on a 25 man playoff roster. Well, I mean, it depends. It depends because they're going to be taking some of the spots of of uh, some of the bullpen guys. That's the thing. Like some of the. The Luis Sessas of the world, and, sure. and depending on how they're going to go with the with the bench, uh, if they do go with a, they can't really go with a totally short bench. No, you've got to add extra it. guys for for extra inning situations, for pinch running. If a guy gets banged up, you you need yeah. to have um, 
They're, but you also need to have guys in there for depth as far as pitching. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting how that plays out to see which guys are stretched out, which guys are healthy, which guys are, are pitching well. Because there's definitely a battle right now. Like all these guys are battling for probably two more uh, two more bullpen spots that are that are going to be available from either the starters or some of these guys that are coming back. Right, they might not even be available if Severino and Batances come back. Then those two spots yeah. might just be those those guys. Right, uh, right. So uh, it's uh, with the whole innings thing on Herman. I, I know they say publicly that, that there's no formal plan in place. I I just don't believe them. I just flat out don't believe them. I don't either. I think that they they've definitely they've definitely have something you know drawn out, or at least they have considerations that they're they're looking at. And I, but I do think that the fact that we're getting these guys back to you know the um, the four inning starters because that's that's kind of what they are. These we have a, I feel like we're getting three or four four inning pitchers, and those are the guys that are going to help you know eat the innings of. Um, uh, of, of some of where the starters would be and, and it does allow you I mean they may even go if this opener thing is working uh, I could see them later in the season using it uh, a couple you know to give another guy a day off if the bullpen's rested and they have uh, a Severino or uh, a Johnny Lasagna you can go out there and throw four innings like it wouldn't surprise me for them one of them to get a start and and you skip uh, uh, Herman so I think it's going to be super flexible I think it's a fluid situation and I think they kind of like that I think they like that they have options again speaking to the depth it's going to set them up for for what they need to be um, in October, and that's healthy and firing on all cylinders. So you have them uh, again. It's so many options now to to make sure that you're going in with your best foot forward. It's it, it's it, it's a good thing. It's a damn good thing. One of the pitchers too, I think, is starting to round into form, and I'm very excited about Paxton and what he's done over his last few starts. And uh, to shout out another article on the website, Rohan Arcot wrote. Uh, a really good article about the evolution of Paxton's pitch mix and what he's done to sort of reinvent himself in the middle of the season. So he's decreased his four-seam fastball usage from 60% down to about 50%. He's decreased his cutter percentage. He's increased his curve percentage, and he's also added in a changeup, which he threw nine times against the Orioles on Monday. It's a new pitch for him pretty much entirely. Um, and what we're seeing is he's, he's more focused and throwing different speeds because his fastball and his cutter were very similar in speed. Uh, he's talked about this, Paxton. There were some quotes in Rohan's article. A batter can gear up for 88 to 95 miles an hour, and it's and it's and they can adjust to 88 to 95 miles an hour. But if you can also throw either a changeup and a curveball in the low 80s, that adds a totally new dynamic to what the hitter has to prepare for. And Paxton's fastball is still his best pitch, but 60% of the time, eventually hitters are going to just start squaring it up. They're going to start sitting on it. They're going to start hitting it, especially if you miss spots on it. You've got to be almost perfect if you're going to throw 60% fastballs. And we saw him be imperfect with location far too often this year and get beat. Yeah. Absolutely, that's the problem with him. Like that was that was the biggest problem I think that that, that moved to this uh, this type of this mix. I you know I think it's a really good thing for his career. Honestly, the fact that he had those struggles and now is able to um, you know add this change up and you know cut, bring in these uh, the the off speed stuff a lot more. I think it's just going to make him more of a dangerous pitcher because. Um, you know, when he's in Seattle, we're seeing injuries. We're seeing a, a guy that that looked really good, flashed at 98. You know, like throwing high 90s. We're all like, "Yes, this is this is awesome." He's like, he's like that prototypical. I know you were you were getting all like giddy and excited about a, a guy that that kind of fits the um, uh, 
that fits the the big lefty ace. Yeah, hell you know, yeah. The 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 guy that you that we've we've all been one of the Bumgarner type. Um, granted, we haven't seen the big games from him, but like he fits that bill as far as physically. And How does that not you know, get I you think excited. <laughs> I know, I, I agree, but the fact now is that he's, and I think this is a lot of the Larry Rothschild effect, uh, people don't want to give him credit, but um, everything you hear from everybody in the booth and everybody uh, about Larry Rothschild is that he's one of the hardest working guys, like does everything possible for you. I think this is uh, this is to his his credit where he's he's you know trying to get the um, the timing changed on a batter and especially because Paxton wasn't locating that fastball, you got to show something different because now that you're throwing at 60 Sixty uh, percent, and you're not locating it. Well, people can just sit on that, and and now it's leaking over the plate. So we got problems. Well, it's actually interesting. You say it's a Larry Rothschild effect. I'm, I'm I'm not saying he has no impact on this, but we're now starting to see more of a mix of what we saw last year in Seattle, where around half of the time he was throwing forcing fast. He was basically forcing fastball curveball in Seattle. Those were his two go-to pitches. The biggest difference for him this year with the Yankees was he was like forcing fastball cutter were his two pitches. So he's decreased. What, what we've seen is really a de-emphasis on the cutter and more of an emphasis on the curveball in the last few starts, and it's been working for him. Yeah, maybe that's the Larry Rothschild effect. It's, it's more of an emphasis on the, hard, it's more of an emphasis on the, on the uh, soft stuff compared to the hard stuff, and that's yes. Larry Rothschild. Yeah. That's his MO. Um, and it's not all perfect. It's not all rainbows and unicorns for James Paxton because he still gave up a run in the first inning, which means he's now given up 25 earned runs and 21 innings pitched in the first inning this year. It's a 10.71 ERA. This is something, if, if these sort of problems happen in the playoffs, could be the difference in a ball game. Yeah, and it'll also be the difference in the... Um He's got to show that he can get through the, for the beginning innings because there's a there's a confidence meter too with your with your starting pitching and and when you get into the playoffs that that meter gets you know lower and lower and lower as far as the uh, you know when when you're making that change and if you're getting tr- into trouble early there could be a time where you know if it's a pivotal game that Boone's going to go to the bullpen on you know one of the first signs of trouble and then depending on what that is like that could really hurt the team uh, and the way that the bullpen is used and the, you know, the, them deploying some of their big guns. So a lot of it is it's important for him to get off to these good starts because it's, it seems like when he does get into uh, when he gets into the flow of a game, when he gets into the flow of, a, of a, his pitches, like the guy is really good at that point. And, you know, he still makes a couple of mistakes here and there, but I mean, you just, you see the, the, you see the James Paxton that we all thought we were getting. <clears throat> you just alluded to this, but okay. So Paxton is going in game one or two in the playoffs of the division series, and he gives up a run in the first inning, and there's a couple guys on base. Well, you're not just sitting back in the dugout folding your arms saying, well, let him get through it. you got to call down to the bullpen and get someone warmed up. It's a completely different uh, urgency in the playoffs yeah. that can unravel so quickly right. with just a couple things going wrong in the first inning. Absolutely. There's no doubt. And then, and again, if you get into trouble in the first inning, and even if you get out of it, now it's in the back of your mind where if you get into trouble, like you said, they're going to get someone up. Those B whips are coming into play. These guys are throwing, uh, these guys are throwing, uh, you know, these, the pitches in the bullpen and you got someone breathing down your, down your neck and whether, you know, James Paxton gets affected by that. But again, it's going to be a a much quicker trigger trigger in the playoffs. So he's got to, he's got to prove that that he can get through these first innings because they know the unfortunate thing is, is that they know he settles into games, but a lot of times you, can't you just sne- can't wait. You can't get snake bit. Yeah. You starting to get worried about Aaron judge's slump. It's ongoing. I'm not. No. So a couple uh, rundown on his numbers here. He's 12 for 76. It's a 158 batting average with 
over the course of this slump, these are actually the more concerning things. Sub 300 on base percentage and sub 300 slugging percentage. Um, in this, I'm seeing him chasing pitches. In this, this, this guy looks uncomfortable. In the span of his slump, his batting average has dropped from 311 to 263, and his OPS has dropped from 984 to 842. Uh, I know he's getting a lot of bad strike calls on him, low strikes. We've seen it happen. Seems like more frequently over the last couple months, but maybe that's just because we're noticing them because he's not hitting otherwise. Um, but a lot of people are managing and, and evaluating from their couches and on Twitter saying this guy does not look healthy. Still has not pulled a home run. He's not pulling the ball with power. He's not hitting the ball in the air. He to smoked left field. the ball in the left field the other day. Uh, no, that was off the end of the bat. It, it doesn't matter if it's off the end of the bat or not. It's still, you can still hit the ball hard. You can still swing hard. Yes. Okay. The hell does that have to do Every with squirrel it? can find a nut. You're not worried at all that Aaron Judge doesn't look right? No, I'm not worried. I, I Look, I... I I, I maintain a steady, a steady hand throughout a baseball season. And what I'm seeing is a guy that is definitely struggling at the plate. There's no doubt. He's got some level of, uh, of, of, uncomfortable, of uncomfortableness. He's chasing pitches that he doesn't chase. Like it, he, he struck out uh, yesterday in a high fastball that was just, you could see the frustration in his face. Like, why is he chasing it? Uh, so I think he's pressing. I definitely think he's pressing. And when Aaron Judge presses, everything becomes that much worse with his mechanics because he's such a big guy and it's so hard to repeat those mechanics when he's out of it it's it, it takes it takes a, a lot more for him to get back into it and um and and when you're when you're swinging at bad pitches and your head's not in there it's uh it becomes it becomes a mental game at that point so i think at some point he's going to get back to his mechanics he's going to find that zone where he feels good uh, he's going to start seeing the ball better and he's going to be okay because he doesn't i don't see him why, why do people say he's unhealthy? Because, because of what they're seeing, because he's not pulling the ball to left field, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's still hitting the ball hard. I'm still seeing yeah, the exit velocity balls is getting there. hit hard. It's, the exit velocity is there. It's the launch angle that's not there for him. And I don't okay, know. And is to that, me, could and, that be something with the oblique injury? Because, listen, that was that weird quote after the oblique injury back in like April or May where Judge said it's probably not going to be 100% this year. Yeah. 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 Uh, Look, I see a guy that, and, and maybe the oblique injury got him into some bad mechanical issues as well. Um, but I, I'm just not at a point where I'm where I'm I'm worried about it yet. I, I think that there's still plenty of time left in the season for him to get to get right um, because I don't think he's unhealthy. I think that he's a guy that's just battling up there trying to find his uh, his right zone and he hasn't found it yet. What this what this means is that the the league is in big trouble <laughs> because. Aaron Judge hasn't found it yet. The rest of the team has. Aaron Judge, I think, hit, what, two home runs against the, the Orioles? And everybody else hit 97 home runs. And when you see that Aaron Judge is the guy that's not uh, leading your team in home runs against the Orioles, but Glaber Torres and Sanchez, who's been hurt, you know, there's, that means that good things are going to happen from him, unless there is an injury. Well, but uh, from what I'm seeing, I don't see an injured guy. If there's an injury, the Yankees obviously don't know about it because I really don't think they would have him playing through it, especially with a huge division lead. I think and you don't think they know about an injury with Aaron Judge? No, no. What I'm saying is, if there was an injury, so that so what I'm saying point. is, there's no injury, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's, that's what the I'm point. saying. Like, they would, if they, they would, would not let Aaron Judge play through injury with this big of a division lead, if they're in a dog fight and everyone else is injured, maybe they say, okay, Aaron Judge wants to suck it up. He's going to suck it up. But if he if he is in the trainer's office getting treatment on on his oblique, and the Yankees have a Huge division lead. They buried Boston. Tampa is all but buried. 
and Aaron Judge is slumping 158 batting average over his last month of play pretty much, they would be like, dude, we're shutting you down. It's okay. Get healthy. If he was injured. Yes, that's exactly what would happen. They would not. They're going to handle him with kid gloves. They, we, they've proved that in the past. They handle him. With, he's different. They treat him differently. Unless, Unless what? He's not saying something? Like, he's, he's too big of a freaking guy. Who would get called up if Aaron Judge goes on the I.L.? If he goes on the I.L., oh, <laughs> Well, I don't know. Clint Frazier can't play right field. Exactly. So. Maybe they're like, dude, you got to play through injury because we don't have another right fielder. Yeah, but wouldn't that be a really good opportunity for him to get some reps when your team is up? No, the Yankees hate Clint Frazier. He can rake. <laughs> uh, there's an interesting stat somebody tweeted me at Alex Fuiz. Uh, he, uh, I'll just uh, cut to the point here. In, in wins, Aaron Judge has a 988 OPS. And in losses, he has a 618 OPS. So still sort of where Aaron Judge goes, the Yankees go sort of thing. I mean, yeah. But the thing is, they're still winning games. Right. They're winning a ton of games, even with him not playing uh, to, to his peak. So there's other guys that are stepping up. And again, this is what I'm hanging my hat on. I'm, I'm hanging. Depth. So I look, I, I use my eyes. I watch these games and I say he does not look healthy. I'm not saying he is not healthy, but he doesn't look healthy. He doesn't look like just Aaron Judge. Doesn't look like Aaron Judge. Because he's not mashing the ball, that's why. When he's in a str- when he's in a slump, he doesn't look like Aaron Judge. He's still he's still playing uh, he's still playing the ball well. He's still playing things, defense well. He's diving all like over the place. Said, I, still, I see him doing things that are uncharacteristic of Aaron Judge. Chasing balls. He's getting back into old habits that that really were one of the big struggles from him in the beginning. Again, when you have a guy that's that big and you fall into some bad mechanical issues, it's not easy to get back into them. It's not. It's just. It's. It takes a lot more work, I think, for these bigger body guys to get back into their their right muscle memory place and their right zone. Because if they're off even just a little bit, it just makes that much more of a difference with their swing and the uh, and the way that they're going. So, you know, maybe he needs a little visit from uh from from his from his hitting coach. Maybe, maybe he needs a little little visit on that. Yeah, maybe he should right listen to that episode of the Bronx Pinstripe Show where we talk to him and can get some pointers that he might. Oh, be dude, like he, this guy's all over Twitter. I, I I follow him every day and looking at the stuff that he does. Some of the drills that he actually some of the drills that he teaches now are really interesting when you're talking about launch angle too, um, with the way that they he teaches almost like a not an uppercut swing but uh, snap. It's the snap, no, no, but it's it's the um, it's the path in which your your abdomen and your chest almost points up to left field when you swing. Okay. And I think he's falling out of a. He wasn't doing that, that when, he, was, when oh, he first oh, no, came up. Bleak could affect where your chest and abdomen are pointing through a swing. Sure, it could. It also could. It could be a. Uh, you know, when you're trying to ramp back up from an oblique injury, it could get you into a bad uh, mechanical problem because you're, you know, maybe concerned about it or, or whatever. I think it, it. It. This does stem from the oblique injury at some point. It's, but I, I'm not seeing a guy that's not healthy currently. I just think he fell into some bad stuff. Injury rundown. So George's box guys, JJ and Keith, had a, a really good uh, question on their show uh, where they said, if you could only pick four of the injured guys to come back, who would it be? Um, they talked about that uh, on their most recent episode. Go listen to George's box. But I want to ask you, if you could pick four of the guys who are injured to have back at the end of the season, Sabathia, Voigt, Encarnacion, Sevi, Patances, Hicks, well, Isaac is already back, so take him out. Stanton, who are you taking? What four guys are you taking? They also included Jacoby Ellsbury, but I think that was just for, for a cheap laugh. <laughs> um, JJ, a cheap laugh? The, uh, so I'm definitely taking 
two two guys off the bat, which are no-brainers to me, and I think I, I agree with Keith in this sense. Severino and Batantis, number one and number two for me. Those are the two guys that I'm, I'm back. I want pitching. Um, the the next guy um, I'm probably taking is Aaron Hicks. I think that. When Aaron Hicks is right, he's a difference maker, not only in the field, but he also allows for different things to happen because that means if Aaron Hicks isn't there, you're starting somebody in center field, um, you know, whether it's Talkman, I'd still laugh when I say it. No, but I mean, it's not, that, it's not to knock those guys, Mabin or, or Talkman, but it's, it's being logical about it and saying, how long can this sort of thing last with these guys? Right. Eventually, yeah. it's going to stop. Or, or you just have to, fade. Or you have to say that if they come back down to earth, who do you trust more? Mike Talkman, who had the season of his life for the first time ever, or Aaron Hicks? He's had a month and a half of his life. Still the season but, of his life. Yeah. The, um, uh, so I'm taking Hicks, uh, and then I'm, I'm going with a, a big bat, and I'll probably take an Encarnacion just because he's got the experience. And uh, So those are my four guys. I want, <laughs> I want the defender out there, and I want two pitchers, and I want a, a first baseman. It's funny that you said those and four I'm, guys because those were the same four guys I picked. Because Severino, 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 and Severino is not an option in this right. question. But well, frankly, I would definitely put Batantis in there too because Batantis is a difference maker. Yes, but frankly, I, I'm still thinking that the only way this team wins a World Series is if Severino comes back and is good. I'm not saying he's got to go nine innings, eight innings, seven innings like we've seen him do in the past. But he needs to be, he needs to be pitching in the playoff starting rotation. I'm using air quotes because whatever that means in the playoffs. He needs to be giving them quality innings in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, it's definitely one of those when you look up and down the roster and you need one guy to get through with what they're going to have to go through in Houston. If, if that's the team that they meet in the ILCS, then yes, they need another dominant pitcher uh, because hopefully James Paxton could be that guy and, and, and round out the season and, and you know, finish strong. Um, hopefully we could see Tanaka build off of, uh, off of his last start. And and continue to you know progress with that with that different cha- with that different grip uh, on the um, on the splitter and and making sure that he's that guy down on the zone because that's huge obviously we know what he's done in the playoffs in the past but you need that third guy if, if we can have that third guy then that's that's uh, essentially huge. Neither of us said Giancarlo. No, I mean at this point, <laughs> no, no, offense is no, not a problem. NL MVP, thirty million dollars a year. Yeah, no. Nah. And again, it just speaks to the way this team is constructed. It doesn't. They don't need that guy. To me, when you're rounding out the perfect lineup and you're and you're putting together a perfect playoff team, like I want defense. I want guys who can hit uh, and make a lot of contact, who who work the the counts. Encarnacion is definitely one of those guys. Um, and then I and I want pitching. I want more pitching. But because right now, because the current roster hits, they hit. So so here's a caveat to this. The caveat to the question was they're going to be back and they're going to be fine because Encarnacion has a fractured wrist. He might not be fine. He might not have the same power. And if that's the case, maybe I don't want Encarnacion back because then it's just a name at that point. And then you're deciding between Luke Voigt or Giancarlo Stanton. Who's going to give you better quality at-bats in the playoffs? If both are fully healthy, I guess it's Giancarlo Stanton, right? It's crazy. You need another first baseman, though. That's the that's the thing. Like You need a defender out there because now you're starting well, LeMahieu at, that at first point, base every single time. Yeah, mm-hmm. you'd be starting LeMahieu at first base, which is not ideal because he you're sort of just wasting his premium defense at first base. But you have a premium third baseman. You have a, a good... It's, it doesn't really hurt much either, though. Uh, I think It I, certainly doesn't hurt. I think it hurts. It doesn't hurt, because he's a better first baseman than anybody else on the roster. 
For, but first base defensively is less important than second base or third base. I understand and I that. I know you my, called uh, Gio Urshela a premium third baseman. Every defensive metric says he's not a premium defensive third baseman. And he's not as good s- of a defensive third baseman as DJ LeMahieu. He's not bad, but he's not premium. I know everyone I thinks mean, he's gold glove because he got the reputation that he's gold glove because he couldn't hit. That well, is the only reason he got those. That, that is not rep- true. Yes, it is. It's also because he makes. It's also because he makes. It's also because he makes amazing plays, and people see the flash. Okay, fine, fair. He can That's make the amazing plays. But I talked about this with um, Dan Zimborski. But, sen- but since that, since that interview, I want to see what those metrics look like. I, we we don't have it right here, but let's look those up because um, the the metric what he's I haven't seen many of those those like little dumb plays that. Um, that I know oh, Sean and, was, and it's not was even it's on. not even uh, errors. I mean, he he made a a bad play on Sunday Masahiro Tanaka's the game that the tag, but also the Tanaka game where he he didn't get charged with an error, but it was a ground ball to, to third base and he just bobbled it. Somehow they called it a hit, and it's not just errors because Matt Chapman for the A's led the the league in errors last year, and he was far and away the best defensive third baseman in baseball. So it's not just errors, but it, it, I'm not saying errors. I'm saying like you know just just mindless plays because it seems like his errors are the ones that are where, where concentration is, uh, is is lapsed almost it doesn't seem like they're difficult plays uh, and he, again he makes, i'm not he saying, sometimes boots the easy play i'm not saying that he is a bad defensive third baseman i am trying to get to it now and why is it giving me his left field stats i don't care about his left field stats where are his th- okay the thing is, is when is you're looking at moment here we go. When, real quick, when when you're looking at the uh, when you're looking at the defensive lineup, and I, I understand that Lemayhew is probably better than everybody at every position possible. <laughs> like I don't care where he goes, he's probably better. And you you have you're sticking him at first base. Like that's not ideal. I understand that. And, and you're you're not using his his defensive uh, capabilities to the most because you're putting him at first base. But the the point is is that he's so mu- he is much better as of a of a defender than the other first baseman that you have. That. I think that there's there's also a compensation where you do have a third baseman that can come in there and and play well. You have a you have a shortstop that that doesn't matter because he's going to be there anyway. And then you have Glaber who's playing a good second base, so it doesn't hurt you that badly to have him at first base. Jurashella minus five defensive runs saved at third base minus two point five UZR. So you want to say that defensive metrics are 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 not the entire season entire season so you want to you want to bump it up a little bit and get him to zero in each of those categories that means by defensive metrics he's league average and i would even say he's better than league average but he's not premium can you uh can you break that down for the last they don't have splits two months because again defensive metrics over they they normalize over the course of time so two months you're gonna get you're gonna get wildly Drastic. I'm just curious as to what his defensive play because it seems like in the past month and a half that I've seen a, a guy that hasn't made a lot of those careless errors that he did early in the season. Yeah. And I think that's what's I, listen. I still feel it. comfortable with Urshela at third base. Okay, I that's, feel damn comfortable. That's what I'm there. saying. But what? I, but the, but the point is that uh, Lemayhew's best defensive value to the Yankees is not at first base. I, I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing that. Uh, so we. Uh, also on this episode, this episode is not over. I talked to Mandy Bell. She is the MLB.com reporter for the Cleveland Indians. The Yankees got a big series this weekend. I'm pumped about this series because I feel like since the, the, they destroyed Boston, it really hasn't been much to get excited about as far as opponents to play. But this is a really big test. The Indians are the hottest team in baseball since June 1st. They're a potential playoff matchup. They just made a huge trade. That actually has worked out in their favor so far. They got re- reinvigorated with that Bauer, 
slash Puig slash massive trade. I'm excited about this weekend four game series. Yeah, me too. I, I like the fact. I mean, the rest of the. If you look at uh, uh, the scheduling in baseball and the fact that they've already played the Baltimore Orioles 19 times, and and you see, um, you go around to see like the, the other teams in the AL East and how many times they've played them. It's crazy. It's pretty wild to see uh, the. I think Boston's only has played them under 10 times. I think, I think it's 12. What, times. what I saw somewhere. It's, it was around 10. It was it was significantly less. But um, the fact that that you know they are are. Cleveland's coming in with a big with a big four game set, and then they're going to the dreaded West Coast trip. Like, in all honesty, like things could be very different in a week and a half. Yep. Things could be very different, especially with they're playing the the Dodgers, who are right there for best record of baseball with the Yankees. Uh, the and then Oakland, who's always a pain in the ass when you go out to Oakland. So you have uh, you have opportunities where the Yankees. Well, Oakland's could also a potential give up some playoff ma- like absolutely playoff team. So you're playing in the next two weeks potentially three teams you could see in October. Yeah, so this it's a big it's a big uh, it's a big stretch for them. Uh, I think it's one of those that's gonna we're gonna kind of see what they're they're made of as well. I think the pitching staff is going to be uh, very very spotlighted. We're gonna really see if these guys have progressed like we think they have um, from the trade deadline time. It'll be good, but I, I like it and like give me some competition, please. This Baltimore series was like snooze fest almost. I mean, we're seeing Glaber Torres headed out. I love that. That's great. It's fun to watch, but. God damn! Give me some competition. They're going to get some competition as far as the Cleveland pitching because even without Absolutely. Bauer, they're they're filthy. So the Yankees are going to miss Shane Bieber, who's maybe the Indians' best pitcher. But they're going to see uh, Clevenger, who's been great. They're going to see this new kid, Aaron Savali, who I talked to Mandy about. He's a rookie. He's allowed two runs in eighteen innings so far as as a starter for them. They have they everyone in the organization. She said, say he is like uh, a Kluber Tudato. Like he, they, he has modeled himself after Kluber. He has like followed in his footsteps, and they see a lot of Corey Kluber in this kid Savali. I don't like to hear that. That's <laughs> not good. And That's not good, especially with the trade that they just pulled off. They obviously knew that they had uh, depth in the pitching spots, um, and that they were able to add you know some big power bats and get some good prospects. Like it, the more you look at that trade, the more you're seeing that Cleveland definitely knew what they had in their in their cupboards, and they were uh, they were they were looking for. A, uh, some injection like everybody was so wrong about Cleveland and the way that they were going to trade things <laughs> well, and you, you could see it when like you the, look the, back to the end of May they were far back of Minnesota and it took a I know, really but, hot but the, run for them to now they're in the fir- in first place or at least they were when I recorded with Mandy did we all expect place. Minnesota to hold on to it like I personally didn't but the um when you when you but when you go even go back to the offseason like all the narratives of Ownership is trying to save money. They're gonna like they're gonna sell everybody. Like they didn't sell anybody. They 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 didn't sell Trevor Bauer for nothing. They got a lot of of very good prospects and a good haul back for Trevor Bauer. And they knew what they had in their in their uh, in their system to to take you know to take the place. So they did. A, they've done a good job, man. Yeah, and they fixed their weakness, which they didn't fix in the offseason, which was offense. They fixed that with Puig. They got yeah. an offensive injection with Puig. And they're starting pitching, especially if they get a healthy Corey Kluber back. And you're going to face in the playoffs, Clevenger, Shane Bieber, Corey Kluber, and now Savali are one of their other pitchers who are all pretty solid sort of number four starters. It's a tough playoff rotation to go up against. Um, And the Yankees are playing them at a – I'm actually excited. So this might sound backwards. I am happy the Indians are the hottest team in baseball right now and the Yankees are playing them. Because it's a test. I, I, yeah. I sort of like it's sort of like when uh, you just need something to like wake you up in the middle of the season, kind of like some uh, some Adam Gase smelling salts. Yeah, like oh, let's bump some smelling salts and play the Indians <laughs> for four games. Let's go, baby. 
because yeah, no, I, it's I fun. like it. The, give me some, give fun. me something competitive in in right now this, in Yankees land. The stadium is going to be live. It's going to be it's going to be it's going to be bumping uh, for for this series. There's no doubt. Um, especially you got like a guy like Puig coming in. He's going to piss people off. He's going to rub people the wrong way. We haven't really seen Puig uh, very often. I mean, I know we've played the Dodgers, but he he was in a weird place with the Dodgers when when he was there and when they played us. But now that he's you know fully injected into this uh, into this into this you know this this stretch run with the Cleveland Indians. He's going to get under people's skin. He's definitely going to, I think the stadium is going to ride him a little bit. He's going to feed off of that. You know, he's coming in ready to, to piss people off. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun series. And he served his suspension to be back for the Yankee series. He served his suspension against Boston in the last three games. He is back tonight, Thursday against the Yankees. You know, damn well, he circled this thing. He's loving this. I, I mean, like at, from a distance, I always liked watching him play just because he was exciting and I didn't, we didn't have to deal with him. Uh, you know, and he's a pain in the ass, but we didn't have to deal with him again on that side. But now that he's into this, uh, into this, into this, uh, you know, playoff contention, he's going to be a pain in the ass. He's going to, he's going to piss me off too. <laughs> I know it. I know Good. he's going to piss but me you off. You know what? Good. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Get pissed yeah. off at the opponent. That's more fun. Sports are fun that more way fun. when you hate the opponent. Oh, the emotion into it is way more fun. So stay tuned for the Mandy Bell segment. Last thing I want to talk about quickly. You see this Cashman car story. Cashman's yes. uh, Jeep Wrangler was stolen in the Bronx. I, I, I <clears throat> stolen because it just showed up at a body shop. It was towed to a body shop in the Bronx. So I don't really know who stole it. But uh, he was driving it back uh, to Connecticut. The police, I guess the police didn't communicate. Anyway, he got held up at gunpoint. And there was a body cam footage that was released yesterday. Did you see this footage of Cashman? With his hands on his head, getting pulled over in Connecticut, and the cops. And it's funny because the cop immediately was like, oh, shit, that's Brian Cashman. <laughs> like, we made a mistake. Um, but uh, weird story all around with this Cashman car. The whole thing is strange. The fact that, and it's not like when you're looking for a, or footage like this, you're looking for a guy that is, well, one, you're, uh, when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, okay, this was like in the middle of the night. Like, they didn't know who it was. No, it's it's like broad daylight. Oh, yeah. He's still out there, and and beyond. When when you look at the footage, when you see him, <laughs> when you see him, and they know who he is, guns drawn, still hands on the head, still hands up. Like it's still they're 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 treating him like a uh, you know like a regular criminal. And I gotta tell you, I love the fact that Brian Cashman drives a Wrangler. This this seems like his fun mess around car. He's going to the stadium and going home in the Wrangler. That's true because it was in the Bronx. How did it get stolen in the Bronx but then towed to a body shop? Was it towed to a body shop or was it just taken to a body shop? I don't know if it was towed or taken. Was it was it towed with a chain, (laughs) you know, from from uh, kind of like whoever stole it? Once your car gets stolen, though, do you want to still drive that car? I feel like once your house gets broken broken into, you you treat your like you treat your house differently. Like, oh, there's something something off here. I don't want to live here anymore. You don't want to live there if your house gets broken into? My apartment, uh, uh, my first apartment out of college got broken into. And okay. after it got broken into, I mean, we moved because we were in a shitty area. But, but, but it was just like a weird vibe living in that place. Like, uh, it's been every time you leave, you got to make sure all the windows are closed and everything. It's just. I mean, I guess I'm not throwing away my house if it gets broken into. I can tell you that. I'm I, guess it, not throwing, I guess a rent. I'm not throwing away a, my a one car year lease on an apartment it. is different than a, than a 30 year mortgage. Yeah. Uh, no, the fact that he drives a uh, a Wrangler, I want to see. I've been looking in the video, and I'm trying to find out if it's an automatic transmission or a manual transmission because this will tell me a, a story about the yeah, man. But if you're driving, you, you, you from don't the, see the inside of the car. 
It's three if you're driving area, from yeah. the Bronx and you're going to Connecticut and you're, you're, you're dealing with traffic and things like this, you're probably not going to be in a, uh, a manual transmission. But if that was a manual transmission car, even more respect. Like, does, does Brian Cashman do the Jeep wave? <laughs> After they... I used to have a Jeep. That's why I... That's why Did I, you have I, a Wrangler? I respect this. Yeah, I had an old Wrangler. Like, I had an old 98 Wrangler that I stripped the inside, took all the carpet out, like, you know, got it so that it was... I didn't care if it rained on. They're so much fun to drive. They're the most fun cars to drive. I absolutely hated giving it up. I gave it up when, uh, after Kemp was born because I never drove it. I'm like, oh, you well, it's still, just sitting in my yeah, driveway. Yeah, you still had it, yeah. Yeah, I had it for a while. You're like, um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm insuring this thing for no reason. Just I just never drove it. And like, they're meant to be driven, you know? And like, they're, they're fun to drive. So I felt like, I felt like it was doing, me, uh, doing the, uh, the community and the justice for that bad boy to be sitting in my driveway. <laughs> so I, I moved it on. And um, I mean, I got, it, I got an old Jeep on purpose because they're fun. They're like Legos. Like if something goes wrong with it, like you could probably fix it. And there's parts everywhere. Um, they're they're just awesome to drive. They're they're really fun cars, especially if you're not driving a distance and you have them for like just around town. They're they're awesome. A funny moment in the video was after the cops went through all the checks, like checked his ID and everything. He's just talking to Cashman. He's like, you know, I didn't want to say Brian Cashman over the radio because because it would have just caused like, uh, what the hell are you guys doing, sort of thing. So I think he realized it was Brian Cashman very early on. And then was just like, okay, I'm going to go through protocol. But he had a gun pointed at him. So, I mean, you got a gun pointed at you. Even though you know you're innocent, you're still probably shitting your pants if you're Brian oh, Cashman. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no doubt. And he's driving a Wrangler. Like, is that really Brian Cashman driving the Wrangler? Right. Like, I, would have, I would have had a lot of doubts. Like, why isn't he driving a Range Rover? Why is he, yeah, why is he not driving something with like tinted windows or something? You know, I, it's just, I think that just speaks to Cashman, man. He's just, a, he's, a, he's an everyday guy. He's a guy that just goes out there, does his job he well. He's up a, from he's intern a, level. Maybe he's, he's had a that Wrangler for like 30 years. For No, that's a new Wrangler, but you know what I mean. Maybe he, he's always had Wranglers. He's a ninja, man. He just, he's, he's sneaky in broad daylight. Yeah, he's still pulling off trades. They got, uh, what's his Yeah, name? I know. It seems like, every, seems like he's making a trade every day Ryan now. Dull, another uh, non-40-man trade that waiver. Got, that got put on the 40-man. Put on the 40-man. Yeah, because they're just... I mean, the two guys, Mantiplee and Lale, that they, they sort of added to the 40-man just for the doubleheader are now... DFA'd and released. So yeah, and so Brady, uh, Brady Lale had a, a pretty good story though. He, you could see that that guy after the. I after think the they're game, hoping he clears waivers and then they can. Just I'm add sure him back he will to the to the minors, and he might he might just clear waivers. He, I'm sure he will. He's a known quantity too. They've they, he's been around the system for a long time, so uh, they know what they got there. Uh, other last thing is the event coming up. That's in uh, on August 31st. Uh, we're going to be ordering yeah, t-shirts. When's the cutoff? It's coming up. Well, we're ordering. Yeah, we're ordering t-shirts uh, probably uh, tomorrow. At some point, I'm going to be ordering a bunch of shirts. Um, not to say that that's the cutoff, but uh, the, the we'll still be selling tickets after that. But if you definitely want to be guaranteed your shirt um, in the mail, then sign up today, tomorrow, and, and get your your guys involved. Um, but this uh, the deal is 69 bucks, and we will be um, watching in 205 the. Uh, the Yankees take on the Oakland Athletics. Again, like we talked about, it's going to be a fun series. Uh, that's going to be a fun game. It's a one o'clock game on Saturday. Uh, come sit with us. We've got a whole bunch of people coming out there. Looking forward to it. Good stuff. Uh, for Monday's episode, submit your mailbag questions. Call the voicemail line. We've got a new intern. Welcome, AJ, to the team. So we want to get the voicemails and all that stuff popping again. Call in. It's 646 480 0342. It's a huge series against the Indians this weekend. If the Yankees take three out of four or even sweep, they, they hit these Indians starting pitching, you're going to feel good about yourself. Call up the voicemail line and scream 30 seconds into the, into the phone. Any last words, Scott? 
you hit it, man. Just it's gonna be a fun series. It's gonna be one of those uh, one of those uh, one of those tests that we need, that we I think we we all kind of want to see at this point. Someone who's not in the AL East, someone that's a good team coming in, coming in hot. It's gonna be fun. They they have a lot of excitement. They have a lot of exciting players that I think people uh, Yankee fans kind of respect from a distance and like watching from a distance. So I think it's gonna be a very interesting series. All right, Mandy Bell segment coming up, and we will talk to you Monday. Started with nothing really. I was dreaming, sleeping rarely. Had a different theory, then I started thinking clearly. Can y'all even hear me? But always on call. Can't turn around now. I know we're not far. And I can smell it. Deep down they jealous. That'll never sell us what they used to tell us. Shout out to all the fake fans. Joining me on the podcast now is Mandy Bell. She is the Cleveland Indians reporter for MLB.com. And it's been a very exciting couple months for you, Mandy, and the Indians because they've been one of the hottest teams in baseball. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what sparked the turnaround? I think I saw a stat that they were 11 and a half games back on June 2nd. And now as we sit here Tuesday, they're in first place. Yeah, it was uh, it was June fourth that, that that they were as far as eleven and a half back, and and since then they they've had just a, a camaraderie in the clubhouse that they didn't have before. Everything started clicking. Um, June fourth was the day that the team had a meeting to that that Carlos Carrasco revealed to everybody that he was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, I mean, it could be a very strong coincidence, but uh, but since then they've they've been they've been clicking. I mean, we didn't find out as the media until June fifth, but the day before, we kept saying that it just seemed like they were playing with an energy that hadn't been there before. And then we found out that they had heard the news and that day. It just seems it just seems strange. It seems like too much of a coincidence that that everything started to to really relax and everyone started to play. Um, and on a different level with a different enthusiasm since then. Um, but, but Jose Ramirez has come alive and, um, just pieces are starting to fall into place that, that really were missing in the first two months of the season. Yeah. I mean, I think we've heard stories about when real life events can take over sports. And obviously when someone is diagnosed with leukemia, anything that's going on in a baseball field kind of seems insignificant. So maybe, you know, we've heard the, these kinds of stories again. It's kind of like a Disney movie, like a team can rally together over something like that. Big time, and that's what it seemed like. I mean, a lot of a lot of the players, after we uh, found out the news, we were talking to them, asking them um, just the reactions to it and, and, and what it's like going through that. And, and everyone just kept saying sort of the same thing. We're realizing that this is, this is just a game. And playing baseball just shouldn't be taken for granted. We should be enjoying it. And we should be having fun. And, and that's exactly how it seems like that, that that just turned around for them. Everyone just seemed to be having fun. Everyone just seemed to be very um, high stress and, and pressing at the plate and very tense. And, and that just sort of went away at the beginning of June. And ever since they've been posting the best record in, in major league baseball. And uh, as of now sitting atop the AL central standing. So uh, it's been working for them. Yeah, and how was Frank Kona through all of that? Because I know he's battled illnesses in in his past. He's been, I mean, he's been great. He 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 doesn't like to to touch on it too too much because he likes he he just wants to respect Carrasco's privacy. He doesn't want to be um, someone revealing anything, but but he he just seems to be handling it so well. The Indians are just listening to Carrasco. Um, step by step, allowing him to be in full control of of his pr- progression back. I mean, he's been starting to serve some bullpen sessions. He had been throwing bullpens before, but took some time off. He wasn't feeling that great afterwards. I mean, he he gets tired so easily because of because of this diagnosis, and and it's just a challenge for his body. So, 
Um, he finally overcame that and started to get back on the rubber again. And, and Tito just could not hide his smile when he came in to tell the media that he was getting back on the mound. He's just so excited for him. The, the whole clubhouse just absolutely loves him. Um, so it's, it's cool to see how, how genuinely excited these guys are just to have him back in the clubhouse around the team. Did it, was there a sense at all um, that maybe Cleveland had missed their window because they obviously had the World Series heartbreaking loss and then the best record in the American League in 2017 get upset by the Yankees and then early bounce in uh, the 2018 playoffs and it kind of seemed like things were getting out of control spiraling at the beginning of this year. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there was an actual sense of missing their window, but it, it, it just. Something felt different. It, it felt off. I mean, the Indians haven't haven't been that far back in, in so long. They haven't really had competition in the in the division in so long. Right. Um, so it was sort of just like a little weird wake up call. Like, okay, we need to get this together, type of thing. And, and I mean, they have. They've they've gone on this incredible stretch. And they've they said they just had a, a series in Minnesota over the weekend. And Everyone came out of that series saying, this is fun. Mike Clevenger said, this might sound narcissistic, but ever since I've been up here, we've basically never had competition like this during the regular season. And this is really, really enjoyable to be able to have like a taste of playoff type of games, the atmosphere, all that stuff in August. I mean, they're looking at it like this is a big advantage this year. Um, so they're, they're really, really enjoying it. So there seems to be a little bit of a different vibe. I know this is my first year, but I've talked to, um, a lot of guys are, that have been around the team for for a long time now. Everyone keeps sort of saying the same thing. It's just it's a little bit of a, a different vibe this year than than what they felt in in years past. I think I saw I saw a quote by Tyler Clippard, ex Yankee, who said, "We might not have the most talent, but we're the best team in the game." So is that sort of mm-hmm. the vibe they're going with? A hundred percent. That's what it seems like. And I yeah, I think Clippard said it the best to, to be able to describe it that way. I was heading into the Minnesota series, and, and we, were, we were asking him about trying to bottle emotions going into that series, trying to look at it like every any other game. And he's like, no, we're not even trying to do that. We're excited. We're, we know we're excited, and we're looking forward to this. Um, and then that's when he said, I mean, this, this is basically, um, they're, they're young. They're such a young team. There's so much inexperience on the team. But that's what Clippard said. I mean, we're, we might not have the best talent, but uh, we're the best team. And they really do seem to be... Uh, uh, clicking in the clubhouse, everyone seems to be really, really getting along, and and a lot of guys in there have said that this is the closest that they've been with their team in, in a few years now. So, it, it it seems like a fantastic vibe going on in the clubhouse, and and I'm sure that's played an enormous role over the last two months. Yeah, you said something about maybe not having competition in the division, and that's been true recently. And I think Minnesota took everyone by surprise. And I know the Yankees just played Minnesota a few weeks back. Uh, I'm sure you saw the highlights of that insane five-hour game when Aaron Hicks makes the diving <laughs> catch. But like it's, it, what you said about it being a playoff atmosphere in the middle of the summer, I mean, that absolutely what it, what it was for the Yankees, those three games there. And I mean, I have to imagine maybe the Indians just figured they'd cruise to another division title at the beginning of this year that's that was sort of the argument in the offseason when they didn't really do much yeah it, it was tough I don't I don't know if they necessarily thought they would cruise uh as much as they have in the last few seasons they knew that the twins were going to be better this year but you could tell that they didn't 
I mean, nobody expected the Twins to be as good as what they are um, this season. Oh, you didn't and, expect them to hit the most home runs in baseball? Weird. Right. I know. I can't <laughs> believe I didn't predict that one. Uh, it was. It, it's just nobody expected it to be this dramatic, and uh, the Indians, especially, then, like you said, that, uh, that's why they they didn't do too too much this off season. Um, they made a lot of small deals, but that the, uh, the sending Jan Gomes to to D.C. was was something that they won, although Jeffrey Rodriguez is still on the injured list right now, but they got a prospect in Daniel Johnson. They, they got, they've got some good smaller deals, but they didn't, they didn't trade Trevor Bauer or Corey Kluber in the off season. Like they kept rumors were out there, but they, they held on to it because they, they were expecting the twins to be a little bit better, but nothing what they are this year. And, uh, caught everybody by surprise. They, they knew that they were going to struggle offensively. They said that going into the year. Tito kept saying that going into the year, saying we're going to basically rely on our pitching a good bit because uh, uh, our offense is, is, we know there's going to be some learning curves. There's a lot of young bats in that lineup. Cleveland in April can be a challenge. I mean, they were expecting all of those struggles. They just weren't expecting the competition to be so fierce so early on. So uh, it took them a little bit, but they were able to scratch and claw their way back into the division. Yeah, and I think what you said about their pitching is going to have to carry them. That, that'll that'll still be true in the playoffs. But that's why I was pretty shocked they ended up trading Bauer. Um, I want to talk about him for a little bit because obviously he was linked to the Yankees a little bit. But was it his antics that actually ended up getting him traded not just the throwing the ball over the center field fence but just everything that comes along with Trevor Bauer no not necessarily I mean the Indians president of baseball operations Chris Antonetti spoke to the media after the the trade happened and of course he was asked about that and he said that there was no different conversations because of that that did not influence their trade I I honestly believe it I I know that they were looking to to trade a trade Bauer obviously to be able to get some offensive help it's a sort of a a strange concept trading away one of your best pitchers to sort of get better uh as a whole it's it just seems really really odd that that's even possible but um they're just they're so deep in starting pitching they've had so many injuries this year and each person they've called on from the minor leagues hasn't uh, has done more than just patch a hole. They've actually thrived, and it's been really impressive. Guys like Zach Plezak, Aaron Savali, all these guys keep coming up and, and just really impressing. So when you have that uh, depth in the minor league system that you can just sort of keep rotating guys in, in the big league rotation and allowed them to breathe a little bit, trade Trevor Bauer and get guys like Yasiel Puig and Fran Mel Reyes to be able to add some pop in the lineup because if they didn't have that, it's a tough to make a postseason run with Jason Kipnis in the cleanup spot. <laughs> uh, so, so they did, they definitely were able to get better as a whole, and and it just I think it was more of a strategy thing rather than Bauer's antics that uh, that that moved him along. But Francona did say he was a little concerned on what that, that move in, in Kansas City when he checked the ball over the center field fence, what that would have done to the clubhouse long-term. Yeah, that was his last start, right, as an Indian? Yep, yep. Yeah, so that's that's a tough, lasting <laughs> memory uh, as you're yeah. headed out of Cleveland. But what was it like covering Bauer? Because he's he's an interesting guy. I, me and my co-host Scott have talked about on the podcast that uh, we would have loved to see him come to the Yankees even though the New York media can be harder than any other media market, but sometimes I wouldn't necessarily call Trevor Bauer soft. I'd call him a little crazy, and I think crazy can play in a tough media market. Uh, what was it like covering him every day? 
He's a very, very interesting person. He's one of the sm- smartest people I've ever talked to. He he thinks in ways that I could never have imagined thinking. I, I mean, it, it's he's fascinating to talk to because you could just sit there, you could ask him one question, and he'd give you a 14-minute response and just hit every possible angle of whatever you're trying to get at and uh, break it down in ways that you just couldn't even ever imagine. Uh, he, he's just, he's super interesting, uh, to talk to. Honestly, I, I really, really enjoyed covering him. I know he obviously had his, his antics and, and, and then he made things a little bit interesting from time to time, whether it was his drones or, or throwing the ball over the center field fence, whatever it may be. Yeah. I'll never forget him bleeding on the mound in the World (laughs) Series. Like, how do you get that out of your mind? And as a player as a teammate of his i'd be pissed being like yo dude we're in the world series stop playing with drones right and i mean he he's take he's embraced that as much as possible i mean they uh they had a, a campaign to get carlos santana in, in the all-star game and the indians were going around getting guys to to say messages to get fans to vote and he said, he, I think his was something along the lines of, you better vote for Lowe's or my drone's coming for your pinky finger. I mean, he, 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 he's embraced that, and uh, I'm sure there was frustration. I wasn't there that year, but I'm sure there was frustration in the clubhouse during that uh, extremely important time and, and to have something, a freak injury like that pop up. But he came, he came with some, some interesting storylines. Uh, there was never a dull moment, but he was really, really interesting. Um, honestly, he was fascinating to talk to, and I enjoyed covering him. Do you know who Mike Francesa is? He does local yeah, radio. Of in New York. Yeah, Well, then I'm sure you saw he got into a back uh-huh. and forth with Bauer on Twitter. And, uh, you know, friends, people have different opinions of Francesa. But, I mean, that sort of was the worst fear that if the Yankees did trade for Trevor Bauer, that's what would happen. They would just, he would fight back against the media which will say stuff like Mike Francesa said that he's a clown and so what do you think it would have been if you want to theorize a little bit if he had come to New York or if he does come to New York in the future how do you think that relationship would go it'll be interesting to see how he would adjust right as at least at this point he he struggles to allow those things to to just go by without without commenting and uh Obviously, in bigger markets, more more of those types of headlines are are popping up left and right rather than uh, in smaller markets like Cleveland and uh, now Cincinnati. And I, I I don't know if he would be able to control himself and and not not bite every single time he sees something like that on social media. Um, I'm I'm not sure. I I would I wouldn't be surprised if he was very very vocal. Um, I think it could be. It, it would have been interesting if he would have gone to New York. I know there was a lot of uh, sayings around Cleveland that that the Indians didn't have any interest in, in shipping him off to a, a potential contender that they could face in the in the postseason. Um, so that was a a big downside of of shipping him over to the Yankees. But I don't know. It would have been it would have been really really interesting. I could see him getting into some feuds and, and struggling to hold himself back to uh, to not say some things on social media. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen it happen to players in New York in the past, and, and it hasn't worked out for them. And other guys come over here and they thrive. So, mm-hmm. you just, yeah, you never know. But uh, I want to talk about the pitching staff. So Corey Kluber struggled when he was on the mound this year, uh, but he's, mm-hmm. not, he's not been healthy. Uh, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball, obviously, for five years. I think he's had five top 10 Cy Young finishes uh, prior to this year. What are they expecting him to be if and when he comes back? It's really hard to 
place those expectations. I mean, now today, as of Tuesday, he's start making his second rehab start um, in Double A uh, Akron tonight. Um, it, it they're just sort of listening to him the same way that they're they're, they're doing with Carrasco. They're trying to make sure that he takes every day that he needs to get back to full strength before rushing him back up to uh, the big league club. But it, it's hard to expect put too many expectations on him. He's, he'll likely be back at the end of the month. So um, as long as there's no setbacks in this little stretch here, I think it, he should be pretty clear to, to come back toward the end of August, maybe that final week. Um, but it, I don't know. I mean, even Kluber himself, he was saying he, he obviously didn't get off to the start that he would like to this year. And um, being out for so long while you're trying to build yourself back up from a, a fractured forearm to, to try to go from that to getting back up and being better than what you were to start the year, it's a challenge. And everybody knows it's a challenge. So um, the Indians obviously miss him in the rotation and they're looking forward to getting uh, him back, but it's, it's going to be waiting and seeing what, what he has left can, and how he responds to his injury and, and throughout his rehab um, to see how he can impact the team whenever he gets back. Yeah. And um, I think if, I mean, on paper anyway, if he can come back and be good, that rotation is extremely scary in a postseason where if you're going to face um, Bieber, Kluber, Clevenger, and then this new guy, Aaron Savali. Am I saying that right? Savali, yep. Savali. I mean, two runs in 18 innings to start his career is pretty ridiculous. Uh, he, he's, I mean, both he and Zach Plezak have just shocked everybody. Whenever you think of a year that it was supposed to be a Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber rotation, and four of those guys have either been on the injured list or now traded, uh, it's hard to think that with Shane Bieber being the only one to make every single uh, one of his starts that they have been able to make this run. But um, Zach Plezak and, and Jeffrey Rodriguez, who's now in uh, on the injured list, and uh, Aaron Savali, all these guys have just been so impressive. Savali, Plezak, and Bieber were all in the 2016 draft class for the Indians. And, man, they, they did well in that one. I mean, the, the pitching depth that they have is unbelievable. Savali has come up here and... He's not an emotional guy. He's a, a very, very quiet, only says a few words after every one of his starts. But I, I think he's just, he sort of like reminds everybody of Kluber with his two-seamer, with the, his actions, the way he's so stoic on the mound and even in the clubhouse afterwards. Whenever you're starting to get comparisons to Corey Kluber, I, I think you're here <laughs> in pretty good company. Yes, they've definitely been able to develop pitching. I mean, um, just like you said, the track record of all these pitchers and the depth that they have. Um, and it seems like the trade worked out really well because they got exactly what they wanted, which is outfield offense. And Puig has been good since he came over. Um, I know he's serving a susp- He's doing a suspension now, right? Yes, he'll be out for the Boston series uh, at home, but he will be rejoining the team in New York for the Yankees series. What uh, what was the reaction, I guess, amongst you and your your peers? Because Puig can also be an interesting guy to cover when you heard the news. Uh, I was excited, honestly. I've, I've heard so many stories about him that uh, I, I wanted to see him for myself. Uh, and my goodness, he, he's, <laughs> he's certainly lived up to the hype. He is one of the most energetic people that I've ever been around. He's so comical. Um, the, the vibe in the clubhouse is so different now than what it was a month ago before he, he got there. 
it's so loud. They're all screaming, yelling, laughing. Um, he and Francisco Lindor and Fran Mel Reyes and Jose Ramirez, like those four seem to be so tight right now. Um, they're all joking. Roberto Perez, um, Tyler Naquin and Yasiel Puig seem to have a, a good bond going right now. Um, they sit around the table. They eat, they eat dinner together every single night after the games and, and they just, they just are joking all the time. And he's running around the clubhouse. He's, seems to be the the center of every joke it's 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 a a different clubhouse than the calm cool collected one a month ago it this is lively energetic and uh we got to talk to him the other night and he's sitting there telling us about how he would chase chickens growing up and race (laughs) horses in the streets and i mean things that you never would think would ever come up in in an interview but yasiel puig is uh he's a he's a different egg and it's very, very funny to talk to him. I mean, just the journey to get to America to play baseball of Puig is amazing. So yeah, I mm-hmm. can imagine he's got some stories and some experiences <laughs> that other guys who grew up in, in the U.S. and went through the regular draft in college or whatever uh, will have. Yeah, he uh, yeah he has. it seems like he has plenty of stories. He's, he said, we do crazy things in Cuba, and I, I think that's, that's why I play baseball so well and why I enjoy it so much. So what I'm getting from this discussion is that the Yankees are playing the Indians at the worst possible time because they're a very confident and a very hot team right now. Hey, it's, it's a tough time to take them on. I know a lot of Indian fans were stressing like throughout July because the Indians had gone through one of the easiest schedules in baseball. July was super simple for them. And even leading up to it, they had played the majority of teams that were under 500 records. And um, everyone was thinking, okay, when they hit August and they have the Twins, the Yankees, the uh, Red Sox and the, well, now the Mets are, are on fire. You play all these teams, how are they going to be able to respond to this? Because they haven't really had a challenging schedule. Well, the Indians have done pretty well so far. Uh, I mean, uh, you talk to Jason Kipnis about it, and he keeps saying, all I hear on social media is we can't be good teams. And hmm. it's like, well, would you rather us be losing to these bad teams? I don't understand. I, like, it's not, it's not us that are that's making the schedule and just give us some time. We can, we can beat these teams. And so they've, they've done it so far. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a challenging time to be playing the Indians right now because they're on a roll. Yeah. And if they do end up securing the division and, and winning the division over Minnesota, who's fading a little bit, I know Nelson Cruz is going through some injuries. Um, I mean, each of those three division winners, the Astros, the Yankees, the Indians are all going to be super tough and whoever gets the best record is going to have to play uh or ever gets the second best record i think we'll have to play cleveland so that could be a dogfight in the alds uh i know looking forward we're still a little ways away but mm-hmm. considering the yankees lead in the division that's where all our minds are right and uh i i know i know i i keep getting the question all the time like oh well if it's a wild card who's going to be pitching and then uh, which team would you rather be facing and it's just so hard because it's so early to to start looking at that stuff right now because when you look back a few months ago and and i think major league baseball this this tweet just resurfaced they tweeted out in may that the twins had a 94.5 percent chance to take the al central and the tweet was <laughs> does anyone take the 5.5 percent and now indian fans have dug that one back up and keep saying yes we're taking that um so to, to, to of think Twitter. of everything <laughs> exactly <laughs> to think of the way that they've been able to come back now and now i mean it, it's going to be a dogfight to the end between the the twins and the indians to to see if it, it'll be a wild card a one game play in or if they'll be taking the division so it's just it's so hard to predict anything at this point 
Good stuff. And I know you said this is the first year you're you're covering the Indians. Is is this your first year covering a pro baseball team? I was an intern for MLB the last two years. I was actually Brian Hoke's intern in New York last year. Oh, nice. Um, Hoke's been on our show a few different times. He's awesome. He's fantastic. And then I was uh, I covered the Orioles as an intern two years uh, two years ago. So uh, this is my first time uh, in a, a full time position. How's the grind? Uh, it's it's. I've heard some horror stories from people about your your first year on the beat, and, and we haven't had any yet. So uh, so far, so good. I'm I'm taking that as a win so far. All right, good. Uh, hope hopefully that stays <laughs> that way for you the rest of the season. And if the Yankees do end up playing the Indians in the playoffs, we'll get you back on to uh, preview that series. Thank you very much for your time, Mandy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.